Welcome to Hero's Journey Physio Fitness. Our mission is to empower, inspire, and mentor people to reclaim their health and become self-reliant in their fitness. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Hogue. Join with me as my co-host, Annabelle Rios. All right, we are going live in three, two, one. one. <laughs> he gave me the point, so I was like, I think he wants me to say it. He wants me to say one. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to give you specific instructions today, okay? And about the topic, too. But if you listen on Spotify and you are not subscribed, that means you need to click the follow button. There's a button that says follow. Click it. You won't miss an episode. If you're an Apple kind of person, we still love you. Actually, I kind of use Apple. I'm not yeah, going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an Apple podcast person, there's a little check mark. Click it. You'll never miss an episode. And then I'm not sure where you find these other podcasts, but wherever you get your podcast, there's probably somewhere where you can follow. Where it says subscribe. Subscribe. So you never miss an episode. Annabelle, what are we talking about today? Some might call it football. Some might call it <laughs> soccer. Some <laughs> might just say football. We're talking about the sport of soccer. We'll say soccer for you, Cam. Okay. <laughs> hey, we got we got some people yeah, all international. Over the world. So and it also happens to be during the Women's World Cup. It's happening right now. So it's, it a, it's a popular sport, by the way. I think it's the number one sport worldwide. It's not as big in the U.S. It's growing. It's getting there. I'm I'm actually I'm pretty sure you're right that it is the number one sport worldwide. I mean, it makes sense. All you need is a ball. Uh, honestly, yeah. So, um, but again, what about the sport, Cam? What are we talking about? The yeah, sport? one big thing. Uh, that happens a lot of times and specifically soccer. Now there's, there's basketball, tennis, there's other uh, more kind of like dynamic sports like that where mm-hmm. this is possible. But most of the research that I've pulled today has to do more with soccer. So we're going to specifically talk about that, but we're talking about how to prevent an ACL tear. Um, Cause that is pretty common for soccer athletes, players, and it can be common in basketball and, and other sports like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, but again, all the research that I've pulled today is mainly for soccer. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to talk about, how to prevent ACL tears because it's common. It's a uh, it's a pretty good uh if you actually tear it and you have surgery, it's, it's an extensive rehab. Um you'll be at least 3 months with a physical mm. therapist. It can take 6 months to actually be returned to full activity and a year for everything to be fully healed. So you're still kind of in that uh, window for in re-injuring or injuring yeah. your other ACL within that first year. So, but there's some progressive protocols that people can can do to rehab and everything. But we want to prevent that from happening. Yeah, and since you know it's so popular, most of you are probably playing this sport, so we might as well help out. And uh, you know, even just this year, I've had I've had a, at least two or three ACL tears um, really? that, I've, that I've had to help rehab. So again, pretty common. Mm. What is it? Let me say ACL, you know, for those not in uh, physical therapy or uh, no. That thing behind your knee, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's my limit of knowledge. <laughs> so it stands for anterior cruciate ligament, um, ACL. Now, fun fact, this will make you sound really cool at parties, okay? There's a difference between a ligament and a tendon, okay? A ligament... Oh, another fun fact, too. You sprain a ligament, you strain a tendon or a muscle. You don't ever strain a ligament. You sprain it. Anyway, mm. you'll sound really cool at parties if you if you bring that up. So a ligament is more of a fibrous connective tissue, and it usually attaches bone to bone. 
and it serves to hold structures together and help keep them stable. A tendon um, is a continuation of a muscle that attaches to a bone. So the tendon attaches muscle to bone. A ligament attaches bone to bone. Mm. Um, another fun fact about ligaments, they're highly avascular. So avascular means without a vascular supply or very little vascular supply. And we know that blood is the life force of the body, so it can take ligaments quite a long time to heal. We're talking upwards of six months to two years to fully heal because they're so avascular. And that's why when we say things like blood flow, whether we're doing some like cardio um, specific like rehab exercises to get, quote, blood flow, that's why that's so important because blood brings healing. Ligaments don't get a lot of that. So it takes a longer amount of time because of the little supply that they get. Mm. That's kind of one big difference between ligaments and tendons because tendons are more vascular because they're part of and attached to the muscle. Ah, uh, okay. So the ACL specifically, it helps prevent, and I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I guess, talk anatomy and kind of modern terminology. It helps prevent the tibia or your shin bone from what we call anterior translation, which means moving forward of the shin bone in relation to the femur, a.k.a. the thigh bone. So you got your shin bone, you got your thigh bone. Mm -hmm. The ACL prevents the shin bone from moving forward excessively in relation to the thigh bone. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also kind of helps sometimes with like rotational movements as well. Um, so that's the ACL. There are a lot of other ligaments in the knee, but the ACL is one of the more commonly torn ones and the one to have like more commonly to have surgery on than some of the others. I think anybody who watches a decent amount of sports knows that this is not oh, a... You most likely have heard it. You saw someone ACL. in the game go down and yeah. the commentator's like, oh, must, is it an ACL tear? We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and then there's different grades, right? Yeah, there's different grades. We'll uh, get into that yeah, a grade three is a full. Grade two full is... Tear. Yeah, partial. Grade one is going to be more of like at that mild sprain for a ligament. Don't they say sometimes it's better just to... Fully well, repair it because it's easier to repair. Yeah. So if you think if you if you're thinking in terms of that, like if you uh, if you have like a grade two, which you have that kind of moderate tear, if it, if you don't do surgery, it's gonna take a long time for that to fully heal mm. because of the avascular part of it. Mm. So mm. usually people will go in, they'll just have a ACL reconstruction surgery, meaning they they won't even have the old ACL. They'll use like a cadaver. Um, or like use part of their hamstring or patellar tendon to make them a new ACL. So they get a new... Oh, that's how that works, huh? Yeah, so it's usually either from the hamstring or from the hamstring tendon or from the patellar tendon, or they might use a cadaver tendon, but it's usually from the, the patient or from a cadaver is what they'll use to reconstruct the ACL. It's pretty cool. Huh. I know. Get out of here. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I think it almost would be better to have the potentially full and just get the full reconstruction surgery versus, like, having to wait, like, a long time for it to heal and potentially have at risk of tearing it fully and then having to have the surgery and all that kind of stuff. Which makes sense why a lot of these pro athletes sometimes may just go ahead and have the procedure done. Yeah, just go ahead and get it because then mm. on the off season have that time to prepare versus waiting and potentially tearing it during the season, the next season, I should say. Hmm. Okay, so how are we going to find these ligaments? I want to kind of, I want to tell you about the other ligaments and then I'll help you find them on your knee. Um, so the other main ligaments, there's others, but these are the main ones. You have the 
medial collateral ligament or your MCL, you have your lateral collateral ligament or your LCL, and then you have your posterior cruciate ligament, your PCL. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're not driving, uh, try this. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, grab one of your knees. So I'm going to, for demonstration, I'm going to do my right knee. So if you look down on your right knee and you touch, so like where, where your knees would touch, like if you put both your knees together, that is where your MCL is. If you find right where your kneecap is, slide over where your knees would touch, kind of on the inside part, you might even be able to feel a little band. Um, if you're close to the joint line, I don't know if you'll know how to find that or not. But on the inside part of your knee, where it bends, there's a little band, and that's your MCL. That is not commonly torn. If it is, a lot of the times they don't even do surgery for it now because it can oh, just... That's funny. Yeah, do you feel it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's your uh, MCL. Now, if you go to the opposite side of your knee, so like where, you know, your knees are not touching, that's where your LCL is. And again, if you find kind of near the joint line, if you slide over from the kneecap and you kind of feel around where your knee bends, you might feel another tight band over there. And that is your LCL. Sometimes if you cross your legs, so like you put your ankle on your knee while you're sitting, it'll pop out a little bit more. Um, but that's where your LCL is. Now to find the other ones, those are internal. So those other, the MCL and LCL are more uh, external in nature where you can kind of palpate them. But the ACL and PCL, if you do this, take your right hand, take your middle finger and cross it over your index finger and place it on top of your kneecap. Now if you're looking down at that, the middle finger represents your ACL and your index finger represents your PCL and that's in mm. like that's deep in the knee okay so that's how you kind of that's how they cross and so they cross in the middle of the knees because they help with that going forward and going backward motions of the shin bone in relation to the thigh bone interesting so those are where the the main ones are and there's also other things in there too like your meniscus and you know all that kind of stuff bursa stuff like that I've heard of that. Heard? <laughs> <laughs> say more. Say, say more. more. Continue. <laughs> or as Carry the, kid, on. Or Carry the kids on. are saying, say less. Oh, say less. Yeah, I learned about this, and I've been trying to incorporate what it, but I, sa I sound. Like, it just uh, so stop rambling. Get to the point. No, no. It means like I like what you're hearing. Say less. Is what the kids are saying. I I sound so nerdy trying to say it. How's that? <laughs> I've been trying to say it in the clinic. Some of my coworkers are making fun of me because I'm trying right, to. Be right, so instead of saying, continue, carry on, say more. It's like. You say, say less. Yeah, so it'd be like, say, Annabelle, say. I think I'm going to give you $1,000 because I like you so much. You'd be like, say less. You know, like. <laughs> ah, okay. Like, don't say anything else. Like, I like what you're saying. Yes, that's what it means. Oh, okay. That means, oh. So I thought that would be a good time to put that in there. This oh. is when I would pull out Urban Dictionary and think, what does say less mean? Yeah, they also say that slaps. Oh, a slap. I heard a slap. That's yeah. like good. That means that's good. Have you heard of fire? Like, that's fire? That's old, I think. Is that a whole? No, oh, my wow. mind so I've been doing I've been doing that <laughs> and <then> like <laughs> making, the, making the slap noise. So okay. Slap good. Sorry guys. Um say less, say less. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it, animal. So there's a really bad thing called the terrible triad. And it sounds pretty terrible. Um it's also known as the unhappy triad. That's where you have an injury where you where you tear your ACL, your MCL and your medial meniscus mm. all in one fail swoop. It's a gnarly injury. Um, actually, I had met somebody. Um, he was uh, water skiing. And 
he found out that I was a physical therapist. He's like, dude, I had this really gnarly injury, water skiing. And I tore, I, he said I had the, I think he called it the terrible try, but he told me that he tore three of them and he named them. I was like, oh yeah, that's the, that's water the, skiing. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Or it could maybe have been snow skiing. It was some that's sort rough. of, it was some sort of skiing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a gnarly one. There's also a UFC fighter that I think fought like John Jones back in the day. And he like John Bone Jones. And he kicked uh and he tore like almost every ligament and meniscus in his knee. Anyway, Oof. that's the bad one. That takes a long time for recovery, obviously, because you have multiple uh injuries to multiple ligaments going on. Just a long road to recovery. But that being said, back to ACL, who is at risk? So there are some things that play into the um, the injury of an ACL, and then we can hopefully get into some like prevention of that as well. So one risk is is actually being female that you see a lot more. T- <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's uh, the hey, it's, it's the stats, fe- it's stats, <laughs> stats. I'm just delivering the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't. Um, so being female, this is so there's some possibilities on why because we know the numbers show that they do tear their ACL more than males. So some of the things can be like anatomy, potentially wider hips, which leads to this thing called a Q angle, which is like the angle between like the your hip and down to your knee, and that kind of puts the knee at more risk for going more like caving in. Uh, there can be like muscle strength things going on, like. Uh, dominant in your quads and not as dominant in your hamstrings like some mm. uh, females have stronger quads than they do hamstrings so that can mm-hmm. cause more of that anterior translation of the the shin bone uh, there's also some hormonal influences that can go on that can make the ligaments a little bit weaker during certain times of the month and all that kind of things so if you are female just know that you are at a little bit more risk so you definitely want to be paying attention to this so we can help prevent at all costs um, you know from you tearing your ACL now, there are certain sports that put you more at risk. We are, we're obviously talking about soccer, that being one of them. Obviously, American football, basketball, gymnastics, and skiing, obviously, like how we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. If you're between the age of 14 to 25, that is kind of like the sweet spot of tearing your ACL. Is that just because maybe you're more active and I- actually doing yes. pl- and playing a sport? Yes. I, I would say that's the most... Most likely the reason. Yeah. Um, I know, f- at least in my clinic, the the only ACLs that I have rehabbed have been from, I want to say, 15 to 20-year-old females. The last four ACLs. Yeah. Uh, one was basketball. One was soccer. No, two were soccer. Uh, it was soccer, basketball, and I think one was just kind of random. Mm. But they're all between that age. Um, another, uh, risk factor is poor conditioning and weak core. And we're going to talk about why, um, let me see. Did we talk about that later on? No, we'll talk about that now. So one thing, if you have bad conditioning and you start to fatigue, but you're still playing sport, you're still doing some high intensity stuff. Mm -hmm. You're going to start to put your body at worse mechanics, worse uh, worse positions because you're fatigued and the muscles aren't going to be as strong to stabilize around the joints, therefore giving the, the ligament more of the load and the potential to tear. Um, and with the core aspect, because if you're not able to hold yourself more upright with your abdominals and your back extensors and all that kind of stuff, what I say the trunk or the core, it can place more emphasis onto the knee taking the load during these high dynamic 
uh, intense sports. Mm. And therefore, if you're, if you're putting more weight onto that because you can't hold yourself upright as much and you're uncondi- you're deconditioned, then the ligaments are going to take more of the force than the muscles in the core. That your form starts to break down as... Yeah, form starts to break down because your core is weak. Yeah, yeah, because your core is weak, you're putting more weight onto the knee when you're doing these cutting and running type Mm -hmm. uh, movements. So that's a risk factor. That makes sense. Uh, Obviously, using faulty movement patterns. So I think everyone kind of knows about like if you let your knees cave in, like while you are squatting down, that's going to put more pressure on the on the ACL and even like just the anterior knee itself. That can cause what's called patellofemoral pains, um, ace potential risk for ACL tears, uh, or like letting that knee cave in while like cutting, you know, like if you're quickly running side uh, to side, yeah, yeah. just letting that knee constantly buckle and cave in, that's just going to put a lot of force through some of those ligaments, which help to stabilize, you know, the joint. But we don't want to just, <laughs> we don't want to put all, we don't want them because of the repetitive nature of the cutting and all these exercise, uh, all these movement patterns in sport. We don't want to do take so much to where then it tears. So <clears throat> another is landing mechanics. So like if you're like for basketball, for instance, if you're having to do lots of jumping, um, if you are landing with your legs locked at the knee, that that can be uh, a risk factor for tearing your hmm. ACL or landing with your, with your knees pointing towards each other, kind of like almost um, pigeon feet. Yep. Yep, mm-hmm. so that pigeon feet is going to cause the knees to come in uh, because the toes are facing in. Or just landing flat like flat on your feet, not not springy on the ball of your feet and letting like the gastroc and the soleus. So the impact. Yep, you to put ab- more in, absorb more the, the load. Absolutely, because okay. that force gotcha. is going to shoot right up into the knee and just giving the potential for the knee to buckle and the ligaments to take more of the load. Um, interesting. This is what, I thought this one was interesting. Playing on artificial turf. No, I heard of that. Like because you can get turf uh, toe and all these other things. Because of the friction, I believe. Because like when you're stopping oh, on a dime, yeah. there's no like give in like, you know, sometimes the grass or the or the dirt where you can kind of give and have a little bit more softer impact. Like things can just have more friction where they stick and when you twist, you know So the impact is being put back on your body instead of the ground receiving some of it. I, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, or the foot just getting locked in place like what's your as you're cutting mm. versus like sometimes the grass can slide a little bit so you're you can make more of a pivot. Which that will make more sense also with basketball. Yes. That makes sense. Yep. Um and then another one was like obviously the con so a lot of the injuries are actually more non contact related, like because of the what we just talked about just a second ago. Yeah. But there can also be contact related where you get actually hit from the side, your knee goes in or you go forward and then obviously you can tear a ligament. You can get hurt anyway or any like any muscle or ligament or joint with contact, but there's also the the risk of, you know, contact injury mm-hmm. during some of these sports as well. Okay. So if that encompasses you <laughs> in any sort of degree, you need to listen to these protocols. But first, how do you know if you tore your ACL? Is that like a thing that people don't know they tore their ACL? How common is that? A lot of the times you know. Um, to what I would think you would know, right? Yeah. I mean, again, if, unless it's that grade two, you know, like that grade one, grade two, where it's not fully torn, like sometimes that's harder to know. It's kind of like just achy. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, I mean, some, some people are just tough and they tough it out. And, you know, I've known one physical therapist husband, he had tore his ACL and so he let it, you know, all the swelling and all that stuff died down. And he tried to do, he tried to go without surgery. 
Um, so he was just trying to strengthen it. And what happened was he wanted to get back into, I want to say it was like, he wanted to get back into CrossFit. And by the time he had like kind of done some strengthening stuff and tried to get back into like CrossFit and stuff, it just felt too unstable. Mm. Like with certain of those high, you know, dynamic mm-hmm. movements, it just didn't feel like he had the stability he needed, even with some of the strengthening. But my wife's coworker, she's torn her PCL and she's never had surgery and she can do all the stuff she wants to do. Like that one's less common and usually you might not need surgery for that one. Yeah. Okay. But if you, um, hear or feel a sensation of a loud popping yeah you know you you can kind of assume uh if you hear the loud popping sensation and then rapid swelling uh if you feel unstable or the knees buckling and giving way uh yeah okay <laughs> so there's a there's a positive test called the lockman's test we do that in physical therapy i'm, I'm not going to try and tell you how to do it we'll over put the link in, i'll the put the notes. link in the show notes i think i found like a youtube video from like some sort of physical therapist uh you can try that and then obviously a positive mri an mri shows soft tissue lesions and you know that, that'll tell you but you will most likely know and with the swelling, the f- sensation of popping and giving way, those are pretty much all you need. But the Lockman's and MRI will confirm that whether mm. it's a tear or not. Okay, let's get to these protocols because that's really what we want to talk about this episode is the prevention. Now that we know who's at risk, how you know, what it is, let's go into how to prevent it. Nordic curls. That's one of them. Is it really? Oh, my yeah. gosh. So... I do want to quickly talk about levels of evidence because how do we know whether these protocols are good? Um, How do we know whether it's strong evidence, low evidence, all that kind of stuff? So I want to very, very quickly go over, at least in the realm of rehab, um, there's a a website called JOSPT. It's a journal of orthopedic sports, physical therapy. So I've gotten most of these articles and stuff from there. It's just kind of our bread and butter database where we put all of our findings and stuff like that. But within at least rehab, there's five levels of evidence. And this Mm. could probably go across the board for other research and allied Mm -hmm. sciences. So there's level one evidence. And that means you've gotten this from systematic reviews, randomized control trials, high quality diagnostic studies, that's like kind of like the bread and butter. Like mm-hmm. you, you've, you've done, you know, there's less bias in these studies. Again, there's always going to be some level and uh, a bias, but they're pretty top tier. And you can kind of know the, the stuff you pull out from those when you're looking at recommendations, you can know it's going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. There is level two, um, which can be from some systematic reviews or, or lesser quality diagnostic studies, some randomized control uh, trials, but what you're really looking at is there's still weak criteria. Like there's a lot of bias. There was the, maybe the study did something improper. Maybe there was no blinding. Like you didn't blind. There wasn't like a, a control group where you or the the the, the sign, sugar pills. Yeah, or uh-huh. the or the people performing the st- uh, experiment weren't blinded to you know which one was the control group uh-huh. and which one was the experimental group. So basically, just lesser evidence. Like when you read through it, you're like, ah, this one they didn't do their due diligence on uh-huh. calculating all the the bias that can come in there's case control studies or retro retrospective studies like you know you see these studies that come out and you're looking retrospectively and trying to pull data from them there's obviously case series uh maybe some doctors or P- pts might go well you know like i've seen five people with the same condition this is kind of what i'm seeing because i'm i'm i'm, I'm seeing the outcomes 
you're kind of putting multiple cases together and then there's like expert opinion just like this is what i think you know like i i'm an expert i know more than the common person that has more evidence than a common person who doesn't have the experience the reason i want to bring some of that up too is like a lot of people will just bring up the study says the stu- research says and it's like yeah but what's the level of evidence on that study mm-hmm you know, what if someone's pulling a case series versus somebody who's pulling a level one evidence systematic review? That's they're totally different. One has way more um, like less bias, more evidence to point that what they did works and it wasn't just some fluke. It's more. Well, let me let me say this better. The possibility of there being biases, it's reduced. There will always be bias. There will always be bias. Always. But yes, you are correct. It's reduced. So those are uh, five levels of evidence that I just wanted to quickly say because when we get into the protocols we're going to talk about today, these are what we call grade A level one evidence, meaning they're they're top tier because there's different grades in, in physical therapy. That's A through F, A being strong, F being expert opinion. So F A means failure. <laughs> Fluke. Fluke. <laughs> yeah, A is strong, B is moderate, C is weak, D is conflicting, E is theoretical, F is opinion. So the protocols that I pulled out today are level one, grade A, strong evidence studies. So that's what I want to bring to the table today, not just, and then I've also, eh, you know, I've also got some of my opinion at the end. So (laughs) we got a little bit of uh, what? A through F. Yeah, I got a little five and F, but also one and A. So here we go. The first, so there's a bunch, but I wanted to bring out two because I want to go through all of them. And I'll link the article from the Journal of Sport, uh, Orthopedic Sports, Physical Therapy, if you wanted to read it and kind of see what some of the other ones were. But one is called the Harmo Knee Protocol. Okay, and we'll link the website for that as well. The unfortunate thing about this is there's, there's copyrights to this one. So like, I think you'd either have to subscribe to them or pay for it. So I didn't want to do, I didn't want to, I think I f- might have found it online somewhere, but I think it had copyright, so I can't post that. But I can tell you about it. Um, this is, this is coming from their website and they've produced, uh, studies and I think the, uh, archives of internal medicine. So it's, it's a really good protocol, but what they did was they created this protocol after years of field studies and research, uh, approximately 1000 female soccer athletes between the ages of tw- 12 to 19 were educated within the harmony program. And then approximately another 1000 female, a- uh, athletes, uh, in the ages of 12 to 19 were added to a con- to a control group. So that's what I really like about this. You have a mm. control group who were not educated and did it, and you have one that were educated and did it. Same ages, same amount. So during and after one season, the injury rates of the two groups were compared, and they said the difference in the results was amazing. So the harmony reduced the risk of knee injuries, a.k.a. ACL tears, by 77%. The non-contact knee injuries risk, these injuries stand for about 80% of all knee injuries, were reduced by 90%. The study and results are now widely known and available in the medical journal, the Archives of Internal Medicine. So the study was focused on female soccer players, and for that simple reason, they... Wait. For that simple reason that they have one of the highest risk of suffering a knee injury. Okay. So our thesis is that if it works for the one person... Uh, most prone to getting an injury can work for other groups and sports as well. All right, because you said that uh, women are more at risk at that age at in that, that age, sport, in like that sport, anatomy, and everything. So, so th- yeah, they yeah. would conclude. So, it obviously works really well for female soccer athletes. 
and they're saying, well, if it works for them, it can work for others. So that is not great evidence, mm-hmm. but you know, that, 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 that does, it has a point. We'd obviously want more research to go into like male soccer players, female basketball players, fem- you know, like all that kind of yes. stuff. But again, these can be used for other sports, but again, they're saying this is specifically for soccer. And again, I cannot give you the protocol. You're going to have to look up the Harmo Me. That's H A R M O, and then Me. We can put the name of the protocol in the show notes. Yeah, I'll get. I'll, we, can, we can link their website because I got this all yeah. from their website. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this one, I actually they do have their uh, protocol posted, and some like you know youth soccer programs have posted the poster online because it's readily available, and it's called the FIFA 11 Plus Protocol. So that's F I F A 11 plus sign. So I'm going to pull this up in real quick and kind of run you through what this FIFA 11-1 protocol looks like. We'll link it in the show notes if you're interested in giving it a shot. But essentially, there's a uh, you, you would do this before your practice. You would do this before scrimmage. You could potentially even do this before a game. What this is, is it's almost like a warm-up, uh, activation, priming, you know, whatever you want to call it to get prehab. the prehab, like get in the body ready for some of these movements. And the more you drill these things, the more likely when, you know, crap hits the fan, you're in the middle of the game, your body's going to be used to some of these movements. So there's three parts to it. The first part is you do go through some running exercises. Part two, there's like a strength plyometrics and balance exercises. And a lot of these are just like one to three sets, you know, not, you're not like mm-hmm. blasting uh, the, you know, the running exercises, part one, they estimate it takes about eight minutes. The strength, plyometric and balance takes about 10 minutes. And then there was, again, some more running exercises that takes about two minutes. So it's about 20-minute warm-up, great to do before practice, uh, scrimmages, all that kind of stuff. So, like, they've got things like, I'm not going to bore you with everything, but they've got, like, you know, you go, you run straight ahead, you... um you run with like bringing your hips out, bringing your hips in, circling around partners, kind of bumping shoulders with your partner as you run, running forward, running backwards, You're doing a couple sets of these. Again, I'll, you can read through it yourself. I don't want to go through every single, you know, you place five cones, six meters apart, and you know, yeah. like, which is what they want you to do. But there's a running part. There's a strength part where you're holding plank. There's one where you're holding side plank, but keeping you like your leg elevated. There's some Nordic hamstring curls, at least the, the lowering. There's like single leg balance, holding the ball and throwing it. There's squats with then exploding and coming up onto your toes and just vertical jumps. And the, and the, the cool thing about the strength plyometrics and balance in this part two is they've got three levels, depending if, you know, someone might not be as strong or have a strong core. So there's like level one, level two, level three. So like obviously the level one, that first one was just static plank. And the other one was uh, plank with one leg off the ground you know, like holding one leg up while you hold plank and stuff like that, um, where you can kind of scale, you know, your athlete Mm -hmm. to the desired strength metric. Um, And then the last one is like, you're actually, now that you've kind of warmed up with some running and different movements, you've activated the core and the glutes and the knee. Now they want you to run across the entire pitch. They want you to bound. They want you to start cutting. And that way you'll be ready for the game. So I thought that was really nice. Um, it's covering, at least when I was looking through it, it, it's covering a lot of the different movements that you'd facilitate in the game, like the contact, the going backwards, the cutting, you know, with the weak core, the activating the hamstrings, like all that stuff. I think it's great. Yeah, it's like preparing you for all the things you're going to be doing in the game. Absolutely. And that's probably why yeah. it has grade A evidence s- supporting that it can greatly reduce the risk of ACL tears. 
I mean, we've, we've talked about this whenever we, we're doing more activation, whatever you want to call it, activation exercise before we do some of a big lift and you notice such a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So what Anvil is talking about the activation stuff is like, so this morning, for example, before we did some, some back squats, you know, we put a band around our knees. We did some slow eccentric squats with the band, pushing our knees out to activate like the glute meat and glute men and kind of get that, hold that, uh, isometric position in the bottom of a squat and, you know, all that stuff to really prime the muscles for, you know, the heavier weight. And then obviously we, we worked up on some like working, uh, uh, what am I talking about? Uh, warm up sets, warm-up sets to get to the to working work set. set. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Where I feel like sometimes people just hop right into the game and start playing no warm up, no nothing, no activation. And Oh yeah. You're exposing yourself. You yeah. may, you may be fine most of the time, but yeah, we're just trying to reduce the risk, people. Yep. Reduce the risk. It's all a numbers game. All right, so that was high evidence. Now let me give you my lowly <laughs> expert <laughs> opinion evidence. So this is what I think people should be doing, especially soccer, in the off season. And this could actually really apply to basketball and all that other stuff, mm-hmm. too. So I do think that you still need to do these prevention protocols before your practice or scrimmage, because I know people still do some of those things in the off season, like practice and you know, yeah. um, when you scrimmage yourself or whatever. But in addition to that, the protocol, I think barbell back squat and barbell deadlift to really build up strength in your legs and in your core is great. And my recommendation would be, again, do what you need to do, but I'd say at least squatting twice a week and deadlifting once a week in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably get away with a little bit less, but I would say at, at least twice a week back squatting once a week deadlifting really try and build up your strength it's just going to give you more resilience when you're on the pitch <laughs> or on the court <laughs> isn't that called the, the pitch? pitch yeah yeah, yeah. when you said it, i was like wow football i honestly I, football? I just read it in that uh, fifa <laughs> <loving> protocol <laughs> it said bounding across the pitch and i was like ooh, the pitch so as Annabelle said earlier nordic hamstring curls and sissy squats I think those two bodyweight exercises are fantastic. Here's why. So if we know that the quad overactivates for a lot of female soccer athletes and maybe just in general, you really want the hamstrings to be strong because that's what pulls that shin bone posteriorly and helps mm. prevent anterior translation too. So if the hamstrings are strong, it's going to help prevent that translation. But also the sissy squats, like, yeah, it's going to build the quad up, but it's also putting the knees in the over toes position which is you're always doing that in real life and in like the game and all that kind of stuff. So you want to, you want the knee to be strong when it's over the toes. You don't want to just always squat where your knees are never going over your toes and a body weight sissy squat is great to do that for. Another great thing to do in the off season is like a lunge matrix where you're going forward sideways, reverse lunge, kind of hitting all different heads of the hip. Uh, and again, still working that quad and that way you're, you're lunging and getting yourself in more of a split stance, um, for these different positions. Mm. And then I do think you need to keep up with like sprints, like hundred meter sprints, 400 meter sprints, uh, after you do your warm up and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think staying in a sprinting, um, condition is great and you'll have less risk of injury. Like when the season first starts or practice first starts up again in the, um, during the on season or whatever. That's no. what I think. That's kind of my, that's what I think you should do. Oh, so the Nordic, the Nordic hamstring curl, curls, I would add those in on the days you barbell back squat 
And then I'd add in sissy squats on the day that you barbell deadlift. That mm. way you're getting equal amount of quad and hamstring, glutes, hip flexor, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> What'd you think? Nordic curls, man, or something else. Oh, yeah, we did those this morning, and we were shaking like a leaf. Yeah, they're great. So all that being said, if you're an athlete, I would highly recommend you get with your coach to try and implement some of these protocols and put them into your, your training. Um, if you bring it up and you know they, they don't want to or whatever, then at least in the off-season while you're doing things by yourself, like in the summer or the fall or spring or whenever your season is, I would I would I would start incorporating this plan. Yeah. Um, you can find the FIFA 11 online. You can probably get the Harmony. And if you look at the JOSPT article that we're going to post, you you can see some of the like. There's I think Sport Metric. I can't remember the other one. I think it had like a German name. And there's a couple other protocols that you can find as well. But we really want to make sure that we're priming the body for all these different movements that you're going to face in the game. Absolutely, man. So that's all that I got today, Annabelle. I don't know. No, I, I think this is really good. Um, and it's exciting. I, th- I think when we, we were talking about when we played sports, man, sometimes it's like, oh, it would have been better if you would have been doing more lifts, more exercises that would have prepared you for your season ahead. Oh. Yeah, I was very I was very lucky that my high school coach was really about um, shoulder health because he had had some shoulder surgeries and kind of screwed up his shoulder. So we did lots of band work before practice, and I really do think that's one thing that really helped save my shoulders when I was mm-hmm. playing. Um, pitch counts, another big thing for baseball. But, yeah, I think some of those things, like, really helped my shoulder was band work, priming, getting it ready for what you're going to face during the game, adequate warm-up. I wish I would have done more strengthening. We've talked about that in the yeah. past. But uh, at least some of those things were done right. Absolutely. We're so. in all failures. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, everybody that you're human and we should not seek perfection but daily improvement we'll see you guys next time see you guys